The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me on Psych Up Live. More than one billion children are exposed to violence every year. Over a million children have been killed from violence. There seems no end to the ever-increasing reports of violence nationally and internationally. Is there a way to end violence? Our guest today has an answer. He's Dr. Gary Slutkin, world-renowned physician and epidemiologist specializing in infectious diseases and spending 10 years in Africa working to reverse contagious diseases like TB and cholera in Somalia. And then at the request of the World Health Organization, he addressed the epidemic of AIDS in over 25 countries in Central and East Africa and Uganda. Applying his knowledge of the spread of epidemics to violence when he returned to this country, Dr. Slotkin recognizes violence as a contagious disease. Today, you will hear his formulation of violence as epidemic and his response. He is the founder and CEO of Cure Violence, which is ranked first among organizations devoted to reducing violence. The Cure Violence method is working in over 60 communities in 25 cities in the U.S., and on five continents. Dr. Slutkin's work has been featured in the New York Times, in over a dozen books, in the documentaries like The Interrupters, in the Mini Cure Violence documentary, in a recent book, A Path Appears. He's appeared on PBS NewsHour, CNN, 60 Minutes, and dozens of TV and radio shows. Dr. Slutkin speaks regularly at national and global forums like the World Bank, the Institute of Medicine, the World Economic Forum, the UN. He is a senior advisor to the World Health Organization. We are truly privileged to have him as our guest. Dr. Gary Slutkin, welcome to Psych Up Live. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be with you, Suzanne. Thank you. Let's start by asking, how did you come to see violence as a contagious disease? Well, I 
um, was not actually intending to work on violence even. I had just come from, as you mentioned, years of working on infectious diseases in Africa and in Asia and other places. And I had just returned to the United States. And um, I was not really aware that violence was going on at this level in the U.S., having been away for a while. And so I just became curious and um, started to ask people what was being done about it. And most of what um, people had to say about um, what was being done and also the way they were thinking about it, it wasn't it just wasn't making sense to me. It, it looked to me like what we at World Health would frequently call a stuck problem, meaning that the strategy was wrong and maybe the, the diagnosis was wrong. And so I just did what um, many epidemiologists would do. I started to look at graphs and curves and charts and ask questions. And the, the graphs of violence look like the graphs of any epidemic uh, any of the epidemics that I've been working on so far. In other words, they had a standard epidemic curve, which had waves on top of waves. And the maps also looked just like standard epidemic maps. That is to say, there were epicenters. And, um, and then when I asked people what was the most uh, likely predictor, the greatest predictor of a violent event, a previous violent event, um, they said um, a violent event was the greatest predictor of a violent event. And that is that definitional, that it is what makes something infectious. I mean, flu is, the greatest predictor of flu is having been exposed to, that is to say, previous case of flu, same for TB, same for cholera. It's not the same for everything, but it's the same for infectious diseases or contagious diseases. So it was inescapable that this was behaving just like it met all the characteristics of the disease. Um, it had very characteristic, what we call signs and symptoms. It had um, all the characteristics of contagious, that is to say, it um, clustered and had the waves and was transmissible. It had a lot of other characteristics that are very technical, um, um, like what we call latency and carriers and so on. So we just began to try to treat it as such and have gotten strong results in, in treating it, which, of course, is what's most important about um, finding something, re-diagnosing something, whether it's in a patient or otherwise, is that when you come to a new diagnosis, you have a new treatment, which offers a new opportunity for um, the patient to get better and society to get better. Well, let's take a closer look because we, we do have plenty of time and, and I do want us in our next section to go to the model and exactly how you applied it. But so, for example, you talk about, um, and I know you, you are certainly part of and maybe the lead in the workshop um, on contagion of violence. That was the Forum on Global Violence. And you talk about susceptibility and exposure. So in terms of violence, what might me, what could we describe in terms of susceptibility? What makes a person susceptible to violence? How is it transmitted, Dr. Slutkin? Well, um, let's start with how it's transmitted because that's the big deal that people okay. need to know. 
And just to step back a little bit from that, you know, it's very important to know how AIDS is transmitted, isn't it? Um, because if we think it's transmitted by touch, then we don't want to touch someone. If we think it isn't, we can touch someone. And so, and how is ma- malaria transmitted? Well, we know it's transmitted by mosquitoes. We know AIDS is transmitted by sexual contact or by blood. So Ebola, how is it transmitted? People need to know that. And as it turns out, the more exposure, the more likely you are to get any of these diseases. Well, it turns out that for violence, the exposure is a visual exposure, and especially at very close range and in reality. In other words, the the closer it is to you that you're seeing it, if you grow up seeing it or having it been done to you, these two things, seeing it and having it be uh, done to you, your brain picks this up and sees it as normal and begins to do this. In fact, many... Now we're talking about transmission through brains. We're not used to thinking about that. We're used to thinking about transmission through lung or intestines, eating something or breathing something. But the eyes and the brain also pick up things. And therefore, if we can see that the brain is producing more of what it was exposed to as the lung is producing more of what it's exposed to, then we see transmission. So that, that's essentially it. And it having been done to you causes you at greater risk, likely because also of you're having seen it. Now, of course, not everybody who has had violence done to them or everyone who's seen it does it. So that's when susceptibility comes in. But I want to point out that without the exposure, we don't have violence. And there there's now studies that show that kids who grew up in very, very bad circumstances of poverty and um, schools being bad, fathers not around, etc., they don't do violence years later unless it had happened to them or they saw a lot of it. You know, but if a- they saw a lot of it, then they turn out to end up doing it in 30 times to hundreds of times greater. To support what you're saying, um, when in working with the connection and, as we'll say, both the susceptibility and the transmission. So when we talk about children who have witnessed a lot of um, domestic violence, um, what we see is so much dysregulation on the part of a child who's watching two people trying to kill each other at times that, as you say, not only is it visual, but, and as you explain in some of your writing, it's neurophysiological in terms of how does one regulate. And there was there was a um, documentary without impunity that was done about men and violence and domestic violence. And one young man in it says he swore having seen his his father cruelly beat his mother that he would never do this. But much as you say in terms of incubation and transmission, sure enough, when he came back and he had served in the military and that we know can be a factor in terms of certainly visual and neurophysiology, he said, I found myself becoming an abuser and I knew I had to get help. But it's just as you say in terms of transmission and I even was very interested when you speak about incubation and a child might see it and it may not come out for a very long time. 
And what you just said is amazing if you think about it. And, and so, I mean, this is what we take advantage of in cure violence in approaching this problem is, is the understanding that um, if you've been to, exposed to violence, even of one form, you're more likely not only to do it, but to do other forms. I want to break that down a little bit. So as you said, someone saw a violence being done to their mother by their father, and they said, well, that's so horrible, I would never do it. But guess what? They did it. How could that happen? And similarly, someone who's abused as a child, they know how horrible it is. Why would they do it? Well, a third of them do it. And so the prior theories, um, like this has to do with poverty or this has to do with um various other things, they fall away. They don't explain that. And so, um, in fact, it isn't rational to do it. So there's something that the brain is picking up, just like the lung picks up TB or the intestines pick up, that are outside of, almost outside of volitional control, unless they're treated, unless the person, you know, is brought into um, being able to have his trauma um, treated and um, in a way he develops new cognitive, new behavioral responses and has an awareness of this. So um, now the other point of uh, that this comes to is that someone who is exposed in the military to violence not only does violence against their enemy, as it were, but also when they get home, they're more likely to do violence in their home whether it's family violence or violence in the community. And as we've seen with these mass shootings, several of those people had been um, either abused as children or you're seeing the family violence that they're doing. And so what's actually happening is violence, whether you're talking about mass shooting, in fact, child abuse, community violence, even suicide, these are different syndromes of the same disease. Yep. And and let's let me ask you this because when you say syndromes of the same disease, I know you're saying let's consider the broad title of the violence disease and underneath it we may have suicide or child abuse, etc. Well, in terms of triggering factors, do you think the violence we see in the media or the verbal violence that has become part of the norm in the media is in fact, does it, does it have with it the potential to spread this disease? I mean, the answer has got to be yes. And because um, people are provoked and um, because, you know, they, they can get more angry and now, if, if violence is denormalized, you can look at it and be resistant or, say, immune to it. But if it becomes more normalized because you're seeing it um, over and over again, as well as being provoked, yeah, this adds to the susceptibility of it. You know, there's, 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 a, there's different research on this and people think that for example video games and watching television 
do not cause so much of it. There's other people who think it causes quite a bit, but it's clear that it causes you to be less empathetic and more aggressive. And, um, you know, the whole thing that we technically um, refer to as riling up, people can be riled up. So um, these are important susceptibilities. I think um, Time Magazine interviewed you about verbal violence. And in that article, Dr. Slotkin, one of the things they quoted was that in comparing, this is, I think, the University of Beijing, in comparing the impact of 70 million texts of different feelings, sadness, loneliness, anger, the fallout, or rather the outbreak from those dealing with anger was much more significant in terms of triggering more angry texts than other emotions were capable of doing. So when I read that, I thought, well, here's where we see, just as you say, like an infectious disease starts to take off, you see how the contagion starts to spread. Yeah, I mean, all emotions themselves are contagious. I mean, being around someone who's depressed can cause you to be more likely to be. Um, The same thing for being around anxiety and the same thing for being around anger. Anger, of course, um, kind of falls over the other two. A lot of people cover up their sadness with anger or cover up their anxiety with anger. And anger, of course, is, you know, the path to violence. Now, a lot of people are angry and will never, ever, ever use violence. We have to keep that in mind. I think that's most people. Uh, myself, I can become angry, but I would not use violence. So they are separable. They don't exactly lead to each other. But if you have been exposed to violence or you're in a situation where your friends use violence or violence is normal or accepted, and then you get angry, then, of course, you're more likely to do violence. So it, it, it's, I don't know if I'm just talking about a technicality here, but if, if violence, if, if you're already in the realm where violence is acceptable and then the grievances come or the feelings of anger come, then that, that's what follows. It's almost like a two-step process of having a grievance or being angry and then going to violence. So a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people have grievances and they don't go to violence. But if you're in that category where you've been exposed and and it is expected of you, if, you know, someone slept with your girlfriend, if it's expected of you when someone owes you money because of your friends, you you have to save face. Is it expected of you to retaliate if someone punched you or shot your friend, if it's expected of you by your peers, then that um, grievance, arrow, anger, you know, leads to the violence. The bottom line on all of this is the seeing of this and the treating of this as a contagious process leads us to being able to treat it as a health problem, not a bad person problem, a health problem where we use health workers to intervene, to cool people down, 
and to change what they think is otherwise normal. Okay, Dr. Slepkin, I want us to go right there, but we're going to need to take a break. I want our listeners to know you've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Gary Slutkin. He sees violence as a contagious disease. And when, we're, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the cure violence model, picking up right from the conversation of social norms and some of the things that normalize violence for some that might never be normalized for others. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Tune in every week for Envision with co-hosts Thomas Rosenberg and Ronnie Langer Kroger. The show is all about building an inclusive and just future by connecting people with ideas. Connect with what's happening in your community, your country, and around the world as we speak with amazing guests who are fostering change and making their communities better. Envision is heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. What defines your success? Is it success in your business? Success in your personal life? Is it more money? Is it meaningful relationships? How about your passion? Listen for Taking Care of Business with host David Wallach. David's guests share their challenges and what they did to overcome them. What if you can let your passion for success lead you to your success? Taking Care of Business is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Gary Slutkin about violence as a contagious disease 
and the violence cure model that has been used now in 25 cities and internationally across five continents and has shown remarkable results in reducing killings and violence. Dr. Slutkin, tell us about the violence cure model, the components, and how this works. So, um, cure violence uh, approaches uh, violence in an entirely new way. And based on seeing it, seeing violence as a contagious process. And I, I urge um, listeners to go to the Cure Violence website to, to read the details of how it works and where the method's being applied and the, the results that are there. So this is a new solution that's offering a lot of hope to um, cities and countries. And, it, and I want to say that it's being applied in many different areas. Um, violence in the streets, violence in the homes, um, some of these areas like even cartels and tribes, and even in some zones that some consider um, war or nearly war zones. Gradually, this approach and method is, is being applied. So I wanted to be sure that people are, are seeing this in a lot of different ways. And it's, it's even being explored in, in the area of mass shootings and violent recruitment now because it's all one disease. So the, the essence of, of seeing this as a health problem and managing it in this way is that interrupters, a new category of worker, is selected and trained. And, of course, several of them. So if in a community where um, there is a lot of violence. We look, we map this out as we do for cholera or Ebola or for anything. So where is it? What groups are involved with this? And then who do we need to reach each of those individuals and groups? Who has the credibility? Who has the trust? Many of you will recognize this as a health worker approach to managing things like cholera or Ebola. And so we're treating violence in the same way where there are um, people who already exist in the community who have the trust and the credibility and uh, the access. They can know what's going on. They can know who's upset at another person because of um, any of a number of reasons. And then because of their training, they can cool someone down to not do the violent event, to not do the shooting, to not do the killing. And their training involves how to get to um, basically cool somebody down and buy time. That's the start of it. Frequently, there's a lot of swearing and all kinds of other things. But if you, if you think of an emergency medical technician who goes into a tough situation, you have people who are highly skilled. And these guys are very highly skilled and can stop a shooting from happening. In fact, um, they're virtually 100% effective at this, according to some studies. Now, when there is a, a shooting that has happened, then there are frequently retaliations by, that pers- by another person's um, friend or group member, gang member, cartel member, tribal member, you know, family member. And so 
when this is fully set up, there are interrupters and outreach workers in other categories who are also interacting with the other groups at the same time. And likewise, there are now cooled down, time is bought. You can even imagine this in between countries as well as, you know, within a family, as well as within the community. But the job is not done by just having everybody be cool for a day, hours, or a day, or a week. There's a continuity of interaction with um, the people and the groups until they feel that they can see the situation differently. They can see that this isn't going to be helpful and maybe money needs to be repaid. Maybe someone needs to apologize. Maybe they just see that they're going to make it worse for themselves for keeping it going. And so we allow them to feel and see the situation differently. And also for them to have an awareness that the other side is, is seeing it differently. And so then retaliations don't occur. Once a first event doesn't occur or retaliations don't occur, then additional events don't happen because in the absence of this, you have one event leading to another leading to another, which are epidemics, which is what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. So we're interrupting what we call transmission. And um, all kinds of studies now have shown very rapid reductions And why is that? Why is this working? Well, for one thing, actually people don't want to do violence. They really actually don't. They just need a way to hear, have their complaints completely heard and validated. And they need a way to get out of the um, social pressure that their friends are putting on them to do it which means we need to talk to the friends as well. And then, you know, the secret sauce is being able to find the people who are trusted. And wherever we've gone in Honduras, where there's, you know, a lot of of violence in El Salvador, even in Iraq, uh, Chicago, Baltimore, there's always people there who um, have this access, but also would like to see the violence stopped, but they don't know how to do it. They're not being paid to stop it. They're not trained. They don't have the skills. They know how to cool people down, which basically does require a lot of training. I mean, there's like 80 hours of training just to start. They're specialists. These are new categories of workers in the cure violence approach in the health approach, who can stop violent events, stop retaliations, and keep a community cool. I should add, um, there are now about eight or nine communities that have gone um, from having a few dozen shootings and killings to zero, besides uh, for a year or two years, and there's one in um, uh New York now that has gone uh, over a thousand days and many communities have gone 40%, 50%, a few 70%, Honduras, 88% drops. So this cure violence approach is 
is really expanding. It's giving more um, places and types of violence that it's being applied to. And, um, I mean, we're sensing that, you know, there's a new possibility here for for everyone, you know, but we have to be able to see violence differently, not as inevitable, but as curable, preventable, stoppable, not as bad people or enemies, but as a contagious process. These are hard jumps to make. But even if that you, you have difficulty seeing that, um, realize the potential and the power and the results so far in using um, these new types of workers and this new system, because these are not, um, I want to add, these are not um, loose workers. This is um, health ministries or non-governmental organizations connected to community groups who have staff of outreach workers, interrupters, also hospital responders. I haven't talked about how when someone comes to the hospital shot, how we have to make sure that he gets continued care, not just patched up, and also that retaliations are stopped. So you have a system, a disease control, a health-based infection control system that stops the transmission, stops the events. When you see the documentaries, What's so impressive to me as a psychologist and as someone who does group is the amount of support and training of every level of the of people in the system. And there it's so meaningful to see your interrupters or people who come from the community. They clearly carry with them their stakeholders and you can hear them. And when you see the um, documentary, you see they have entree to the perhaps most potentially violent people in a particular community. And you can hear in the conversation, they are changing the norms even by what they say. At one point a man says, well, you could shoot him, but what's likely to happen is you'll be dead or you'll be in jail. That's where that's going. I know that route. I've been in jail. So when you see the faces of people and the valence that the inside community trained folks have, it's pretty impressive. It's also impressive, and you sort of hint at it, that nobody's in a rush to somehow miraculously, and no one's defining anyone as going from bad to good. People are recognizing, as many people talk about in the um, documentaries, they don't know another way, Dr. Slutkin. They're clearly saying, I don't know anything but selling drugs and guns on the street. They don't know another way to heal a humiliation or a grievance. So it really, what I was impressed with is the support, the continual taking of statistics, which you could see everyone was buying into, because it shows, it's like biofeedback. It shows results. It's a very intricate process, but it really accounts for the emotional goals of everyone from the person who might have been the next violent victim or or perpetrator to your staff. It's a very impressive system. Yeah, thank you for recognizing that. So the cure of violence solution to violence 
is really just the the way that public health has been a solution for so many things that we take for granted, problems we don't even have anymore. I mean, that's why we're able to look at the possibility of violence being a problem we might not even have anymore. Because, I mean, just think about smallpox is gone. Leprosy is nearly gone. You know, tuberculosis is going well away. Malaria is going down. Plague is greatly gone down. I mean, many of these diseases and problems have gone or are going into the past. Why? Because we're able to detect. I mean, look at SARS and bird flu what, and Ebola. What happened to them? It's being able to detect with health workers where something might show up. It's able to prevent the spread from one event to another. It's the using of workers who are trusted to help people understand what's going on and how to not do the behaviors that are required. And it's, as you pointed out, the data and the feedback to show that it's working and then to keep pushing harder until it goes down more and goes down more and goes down more. So the cure violence as a solution to public health, to um, violence, is just as it, it, public health has been a solution for smallpox or leprosy or plague or other things that we don't even think about anymore. But as, you know, most people don't know the way that we work and how powerful these methods are because we do them behind the scenes quietly. And then the problem is gone and everyone is glad that it's gone. And that's really what we're thinking with um, cure violence and uh, these methods for violence. And, you know, the sooner the better, of course. One of your street people said, every violent crime hits the newspaper, but we know the data on all the crime or violent acts we've interrupted. And as you say, it goes behind the scene, but the final results to be able to say that there's only one killing as opposed to 50 in a four-month period speaks for itself in terms of this being very effective. Right. Exactly. Now, now we're, we're going to take a, a break in a minute. I want to ask you, for those who are listening, how would a community, how would a community bring in the cure violence method? Well, the best thing um, for anyone who's interested in working with cure violence is to contact us through the website, uh, cureviolence.org. And there is a contact us um, area there if you want to learn more or if you're able to or interested in in bringing this um, to your area. I mean, funds are required because um, the workers are paid. And so, um, you know, cities or countries um, need to be able to put this into place and, um, and, and to do it in the right way. I mean, it's just as for these other problems. But um, this is something that should be in every community where violence is a problem or there or there's concern about being a problem. Okay. We're going to come back. We're going to take a brief break. 
You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're talking with Dr. Gary Slutkin about applying the cure violence method to violence internationally, nationally, and in anyone's community where too many people are dying from too much violence. We're going to come back and talk more about it. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What makes a great leader? Most have a vision, one that starts beyond the resources available and continues from that point into developing a solid plan, organization, and company. Leadership issues are discussed each week on VoltCast, illuminating leadership with host Jeff Smith. Jeff has years of experience as a leader and executive coach, and his guests will bring you information that can help a team of any size. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio. Live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Gary Slutkin. His view is violence as epidemic, and we are talking about the application of the cure violence method. And I was mentioning to Dr. Slutkin that on hearing his TED Talk, which you all should hear, um, he mentioned that 
some of the community um, work is those people who know those communities best were themselves once in jail. Now they are trained to, to really intervene peacefully. They're the ones talking about possible compromise. They are the ones who draw upon their own experience. And I personally, you know, we know that sometimes people have questions and it's very difficult for folks who've been in prison to be seen with any kind of status or validation. But one of the things I mentioned to Dr. Slutkin is that I thought the very fact that these people now have status for proper social norms, for making peace happen, I think actually is part of the insurance in the community that we don't have recidivism. We don't have them going back. They are now stakeholders in the cure of violence rather than falling back to an old way of coping. You know, I I love that you see it that way, and this is the right way of saying this. And because the bigger picture of of what um, pure violence does, and essentially I would say for most of us what we all really want is transformation. And so what we're talking about is transformation of our cities, of our countries, of our world, and the transformation of individuals. And so individuals who are making, who have um, been transformed and are helping others to transform, who are helping others to transform, of course, is part of the way for, you know, our world to uh, make this important change. And you know what is it? I mean, what are we really talking about? We're at the one at one level. We're talking about um, making communities safer. I mean, at another level, we're really talking about life and um, and really living in a peaceful world. So, for um, individuals who um, were involved before, who now have the possibility of helping because they have access and trust. And then showing the way forward. I mean, this is. I'm very happy about this, and I'm. I'm very. I'm so proud of uh, the workers, and so proud of all of our partners. You know, all of our partners in all of these countries who are doing this work. I mean, I hear so many stories myself of how people are feeling about themselves so much better, and feeling so much more hope for their own children. Um, in, in terms of being able to both show their children their own um, uh, new life as well as having all of the children, you know, live in a circumstance that um, is so much better. What I want to ask uh, Dr. Slutkin is we hear so much about the tragic lone wolf violence we've seen in Vegas. How does that fit into the violent syndrome that we've been discussing? Well, just a couple of things to say about that. So these um, mass shootings, um, so-called lone wolves, they, um, uh, most of those people have a prior history of violence that um, in our construct, at violence, we would say they, they have not been treated. They've not been detected and treated before. Um, several of them have had family violence in their background, and um, we should have done a better job of, of managing that. Also, 
the um, mo- many of these people have alerted somebody, whether it's a teacher or a family member, and they have no one to call because they don't want to call law enforcement. And so they should have the, or they do nothing, so they usually do nothing. So we need to make sure that there are um, health hotlines for people to be able to confidentially um, provide um, information so that we can get uh, interrupters and outreach workers to be interacting with people who might be causing events like this. That's a great, great suggestion. Now, Dr. Slutkin, we've covered so much. How can our listeners reach you, hear more about what what the Cure Violence Method is and about your writing and your work? What's the best way? Well, the simplest way to learn more about Cure Violence and or to, to uh, try to find ways to um, get this into your community is to go to our website, cureviolence.org. And you'll see a, a lot of information. You'll see the results. You'll see descriptions. And there's a Contact Us button. And for other listeners who are interested, there's a Donate button as well, which helps us help other people. So um, uh, CureViolence.org, and, and this is um, a hopeful new solution for violence. I hope for you if you need it or for others who you think um, their community could benefit. Okay, I'm going to add to that. Don't miss Dr. Slutkin's TED Talk, the documentary, The Interpreters. Interrupters, yeah. The Interrupters, I'm sorry. Um, and um, the there's a book you can get on Amazon, which is The Contagion of Violence Workshop Summary. Overall, if you go to that website, as Dr. Slutkin suggests, you'll really be impressed and you'll get a lot of information. Dr. Slutkin, I want to thank you so much for coming on and for your contribution to understanding violence as a contagious disease and the cure violence method, which has already reversed the deadly course of violence, both in this country and worldwide. We're very grateful that you've been our guest today. Thanks to you, Suzanne. You're welcome. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this show and any prior show as a podcast on my host site. By this evening, this will be a podcast on the podcast app of your iPhone, iTunes, Sketcher, and many of the podcast sites on your devices. Remember to drop me a comment or question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Mostly until next week, please take out Please take care, reach out with kindness, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week.